Hi, this is Mark Russell, the writer behind The Flintstones and Snagglepuss, and you're listening to a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Yeah! Hey gang, and welcome to another great episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo, the show that gives you a behind-the-scenes peek at 50 years of monsters, mysteries, and meddling kids through commentary and conversation. I'm your host, Mike Josick. Thanks for joining me. So here we are with uh, episode 22 of the podcast, Dateline, August 29th, 2018. For anybody listening to this episode in the far-flung future, wondering what things were like back, back in the past, back in August of 2018... And ultimately, what makes this period of history kind of interesting has something to do with my guest on the program this episode, and that would be Mike Fian, who is the artist of DC Hanna-Barbera's Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles. Now, The Snagglepuss Chronicles was just collected, all six issues, in trade paperback. It came out last week. Originally, this episode was supposed to air last week, but because of other delays and whatnot, I did the Charles Howell interview last week and bumped Mike one week ahead. Thought it would still be relevant. The book is still out there. It's still available in your stores. So if you've been looking for it, be sure to run out and get it this week. And if you haven't picked it up and you haven't read it, perhaps after this interview, you will have a change of heart. You will find the need to go out and check out this Wonderful miniseries written by Mark Russell, who is also a friend of the show. Uh, He was actually the interview before Charles Howell, I believe. I was starting to lose track. And I'll be retweeting and and getting that Mark Russell interview out there again, because part two of the Mark Russell interview, we talked a lot about Snagglepuss, and it dovetails nicely with Mike's interview. Now, I should point out that the conversation I had with Mike happened pretty close to my conversation with Mark. It was definitely like a few days or a week apart. So the issue that was available at the time was issue five. Issue six hadn't come out yet. The series hadn't completed. So you'll notice that during the course of the conversation, there is a couple of references to the fifth issue of the series. And just to give you kind of a sense of the timeline, uh, these interviews often get released sometime after I conduct them just for scheduling reasons. I don't think it affects anything. It's still, I mean, we're still talking about the same things. We're still taking a deep dive on exit stage left uh, from the perspective of the artist. It's all still relevant and it all still has stuff to do with what's currently available there in the trade and in uh, all the individual floppies. So I think the interview turned out really great. I think it's a, a great conversation. It's Mike's first comic gig. And that was kind of cool to be talking to somebody who just sort of got in the door and, and started to put himself out there and to be doing so in a book like this, which had some attention to it based on the previous Flintstones 
uh, effort that Mark Russell had written and there were some expectations and it's such an interesting book dealing with the political climate of the U.S. in the 50s, McCarthyism, the Cold War, communism, and dealing with these LGBTQ plus characters who for the most part, are also popular, iconic Hanna-Barbera characters like Snagglepuss, Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw McGraw, and it's just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating read, and it's a hilarious and tragic, I, you know, I, I just can't say enough about it. And listening to this interview, actually, uh, while I was editing it, it actually kind of spurred me on to go back and revisit some of those old Snagglepuss cartoons, which has also been kind of fun. And I'd actually recommend that anybody out there who is curious, do so. Uh, find the Yogi Bear DVDs. Uh, there's probably some places online where you can probably suss them out that I shouldn't mention by name because of their questionable system of distribution. But those Snagglepuss episodes, you know, like I talked to Charles Howell uh, in the last interviews, there's a lot of animators that got to Hanna-Barbera because other places were shutting down and people were shuffling around. So like really high quality writers, storyboard artists, directors made their way to the studio. And among those people was very popular and very excellent Warner Brothers writer, Mike Maltese. And Mike Maltese wrote a bunch, if not all of those Snagglepuss cartoons, which is kind of cool. And when I realized that, I started watching them, sort of trying to find the, the, the rhythms and the, the patterns of, of the Mike Maltese kind of Warner Brothers style humor, only having it come through this Hanna-Barbera filter, and it was kind of a fascinating process. And there are some good jokes, even though it is a little bit more in the low-hanging fruit sort of zone than a lot of the Warner Brothers material. It's, it's, it is less brilliant, but Snagglepuss has a, a particular idiom to him that just sort of lends itself to some decent comedy and some clever wordplay and there's one great scene where uh, I think little Huey or baby Huey is in the episode and Snagglepuss says I beg to differ I'm a differ beggar and there's just something about that 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 just made me laugh and it's one of those points where I kind of felt that Mike Maltese coming through so uh yeah anyways Snagglepuss Yogi Bear DVDs uh, they're out there, they are available, you can find them, and it's definitely worth going back and checking out. Just like it's definitely worth checking out the conversation that I'm about to send you off to between myself and DC Hanna-Barbera artist Mike Fian. So without further ado, I give you part one of Mike Fian, and we'll see you on the other side. Baby-o, baby-o, wherefore art thou, baby-o? And one second, to exit stage right. Hey gang, we're here talking to another of the DC Hanna-Barbera creators, Mike Fian. He's currently drawing Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles for the line. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, I just finished reading issue five of the series before our chat here, and I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the work on Snagglepuss. But for the listeners, I'm curious, how did you start up in comics? How did you get into the four-color world? It's It's been a, something that I've always wanted to do, um, and it was kind of a long uh, process to get here. I have always been drawing, but comics seemed like something that... I, I wasn't like someone who was a, a huge comic collector, like a lot of people who seem to work in comics uh, start out as. Um, I drew a lot, um, and I produced a lot of art, and I was posting my own art on the internet and stuff like that. 
but I wasn't really consuming that much until maybe I got into college and I was doing graphic design in college and, and my instructors and stuff were saying, oh, you should be really focused on illustration or even drawing comics because, you know, your, your strength isn't really in graphic design. It's clear that your passion is in, in drawing. And I just didn't know at the time that that's something that I could really make a career out of. It just, when I was drawing as a kid, everyone would say, oh, you should be a graphic designer. That's the most, um, you know, viable career choice for you. So that's kind of what I pursued. And I, it, the idea of working in comics seems so far fetched to me, like s- such an impossible goal. But after a few years of working in, in graphic design and, and working in the printing industry and stuff like that, I realized that nothing was really going to cut it. So I started, uh, or nothing was going to kind of satisfy me in the same way that, that, that drawing for a job would. And, and comics seemed to be the best um, way to do that. And, and the more I, I got into comics, I started going and, and buying books and, and, and learning about different artists that I got into and just started becoming a comics guy. I realized that that was the thing that I wanted to do. And then I started going to comic book conventions with my portfolio. And after about six or seven years of doing that, it just kind of fell together. And, and, and Exit Stage Left is actually my first uh, like pro comics gig. So it's a, it's a big deal for me. I'm super excited about it. And what kind of comics were you generally attracted to? Like what, what were your favorite books to read? Or what are your favorite books to read? When I was, well, it, it kind of, my interest in comics kind of runs parallel to, to my drawing style, which I guess is true for a lot of people. Like when I was in junior high, when I was like a teenager, I was reading like a lot of like Japanese comics, like like manga and stuff like that. And that's kind of like how I was drawing. Cause that's kind of, it was when kind of anime and stuff was really kind of hitting big in North America. There was, you know, tons of anime on, on, on TV and stuff. So I was really hard into that. And then when I got into high school, I wanted to keep drawing, but I wasn't so much into that. I was more like, I was playing in, in, in punk bands and stuff like that. And a lot of um, my friends or people I knew were, were hiring me to drop show posters or um, album covers or, or t-shirt designs for them. And I was trying to move away from drawing like a, a Japanese style because that wasn't really what they were looking for. And so I was kind of drawing my own style based on kind of what I thought American comic style would look like. But again, I wasn't really consuming American comics. So I kind of developed my own style. And then when I started looking into to, to comics and, and buying comics, I was immediately attracted to people who drew like me or people who I, who I thought drew like me. So like I'm a big fan of Jeff Darrow and um, Frank Whiteley. I would see their comics, and they wouldn't. Those those guys don't really look like um, I don't know, say more like like Jim Lee or something like that. Right. So when I saw that stuff, I was like, oh, you can draw like this and and work in comics. And I, I kind of learned about like Mobius and like European styles of of, of um, comic book art. And that's that. So originally, when I got into comics, it was through art. I was I was looking at art styles that I was trying to do. But um, my brother at the time, too, he was really into Superman, so he was buying a lot of Superman comics. So I was reading the, the comics that he would buy. So I got into DC first. Um, so I, I, around that time, I just started getting into, you know, DC comics, uh, Superman comics, uh, Grant Morrison. Now I've kind of spread out a bit, but um, I'm, not, I'm not reading as many comics as I, I want to be, but uh, I'm a big fan of Saga, um, Robert Herman stuff. I got into Walking Dead when that was first on the go. Yeah, a, a lot more. But yeah, it, it's kind of. It, it, I really got into comics at first from art, and then kind of learned what writers I liked and and what stories and what characters I liked through through that. 
um, if that makes any sense. I think I kind of rambled there, but yeah. That's fine. I just, I kind of saw, when I look at your current stuff, I kind of see a little bit of Steve Dillon or Mike Norton kind of in there, and I just was kind of wondering if those were artists that you were maybe interested in. It's funny, uh, I've heard, like, since since Snagopus has come out, the I've seen, the, like, uh, several different reviews of who that have mentioned Steve Dillon. I love Steve Dillon's art, um, especially, like, uh, you know, Preacher and, and Punisher, but he is someone that I actually didn't discover till later. And it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes if um, I'm, I'm I'm drawing something or and I run into a problem where I kind of like how does this how would how would this work in a way that's consistent with my style, um, I'll turn to guys who whose work I think you know have the same influences as mine, and I'll kind of be like how did, how would they tackle something like this? Um, and and Steve Dillon is someone I only really started getting into his stuff a few years ago, but. I, I can see that similarity myself. Like it, it's weird because I, I, he's not someone that I really drew influence from growing up. But now yeah. that I now that I like look at his work a lot, I have a lot more of his books. I see that and I find that like I'm, I'm drawing the influence from that now because, uh, yeah, there was there was like some pitch I drew um, a couple of years ago and I had her I was doing a portfolio review and this guy was like this face looks exactly like Steve Dillon drew it and I. I think it was around that time that I like went and I looked at Steve Dillon's art, and I was like, "Shit, like that that does look like a Steve Dillon face." And but I, I just kind of wasn't totally well versed in his art at that point. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a really nice flattering comparison because he's he was amazing, like an, an incredible artist. Yeah. So you you've done some illustration, you've done some storyboard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snagglepuss is your first full kind of professional comics gig. Uh, what? What took you down the road that led you to the DC Hanna-Barbera books? Were you making the rounds doing kind of pitches, or were you sought out? Um, yeah, it, my kind of breaking into comics story is like, it, it was just a long time of, I, like, I'm from a, an island in Canada, Newfoundland, and there's not, there's no major conventions here, so when I was working um, at graphic design jobs or printing jobs, I'd be saving up money and then traveling to either um, Fan Expo in Toronto or a few times I went to San Diego Comic-Con uh, with a portfolio just trying to break in. And, and I, I started doing that in like 2009 or 2010. So, yeah, I just kind of was, was going to these things with sample pages, getting portfolio reviews, getting kind of um, rejected, coming back the next year and doing it again. And then eventually I would meet like writers or, or other artists who would... Who would um, you know, recommend my stuff to, to writers. And I was developing pitches over the last few years, maybe like four different pitches with a couple of different writers um, that we were sending to a bunch of different publishers for, for creator on books. And meanwhile, I was still, I was, if those, a lot of the pitches didn't go anywhere, but I would have those pages to bring to a next, my next convention to um, do a portfolio review. So it was just this last um, September that I was at Fan Expo Toronto uh, and I met with uh, a DC editor, Jim Chadwick, at a portfolio review, and I had the most recent pitch that I worked on, and uh, he, he liked it. He, he took my info. I followed up with him, like, a few days after the convention, and I had flown back home. And just a couple of days later, I got an email from him saying, hey, I think, I think he said, hey, believe it or not, there's an editor here that wants to work with you. And then I got an email from um, uh, Marie Javins, who's the, the editor on the book, and she said... Uh, Hey, we have a six-issue miniseries in mind for you. How do you feel about drawing talking animals? Um, and that's just kind of how it happened. Um, I, I I'd heard of this book. It wasn't something that I was like. 
I never thought I'd be working on a, on a, on a Snagglepuss book or a Hanna-Barbera book. It just, <laughs> it, it wasn't like what I was aiming for. And I find it funny too, because like these pitches that I had been developing that they had seen for, in my portfolio were, um, there was like a sci-fi story, uh, that was like a sci-fi crime pitch. Um, there was a like supernatural, like horror assassin story, um, that was like extremely violent. And this is what they saw, and then they 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 were like, "Oh, you'd be a good fit for this." Um, so uh, I found that really surprising, but uh, it was really really cool because I had heard, I'd seen the preview comic uh, that came out in twenty early twenty seventeen, um, that Howard right that Howard Porter drew, yeah, 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 and it was it was great, and I saw the you know the articles that came out that were like the headlines like Snagglepuss reimagined as like gay Southern Gothic communist playwright on the run from the U.S. government in the nineteen fifties, and I was like. That sounds so rad. Like I'm definitely gonna buy that book when it comes out. <laughs> and then you know, six months later, I was the artist on the book, so it was just kind of crazy. Had you read uh, any of Mark's previous work, like Prez or The Flintstones? I had read The Flintstones, yeah, and because I, I I kept seeing like buzz about like like you won't believe how great The Simpsons are. Oh my god, Simpsons. Uh, the Flintstones comic is. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out, and I was I was really blown away by the writing uh, on the on the Flintstones, and like I was recommending it to my friends, being like, you gotta check out this Flintstones book, it's it's bonkers and like really great. So yeah, it was definitely one of the best books of that year. Like it is so sharp and clever. Oh yeah, yeah. Not and it's he's uh, the book nominated for like three Eisner awards now, which I'm not surprised by because it's 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 fantastic. I'm 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 despairing at the fact that Steve Pugh didn't get uh, nominated for artist because his work on that was like amazing. But yeah, he's he's incredible. Yeah, so so you'd seen the Flintstones. Had you seen any of the other DC Hanna Barbera books, or was that pretty much your exposure? I was away. Like I had seen stuff, um, some of the art posted because I think like Jim Lee had drawn some Scooby Doo covers maybe when when the Scooby Doo Apocalypse got announced. He did the original character designs and vehicle designs yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So I, I'd seen that and I was aware of that. I don't know if I bought it, but I definitely was reading. No, I must have bought it the first couple issues or something of uh, the Future Quest with because was. Doc Shaner was drawing that, I think. Yeah, Jeff Parker wrote it, and Doc Shaner was one of the primary artists, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, Doc Shaner's art I, I love, and I just think he's a perfect, like, fit for, for the Hanna-Barbera style. Like, it, it works so well. Um, So when I when I was brought on board for Snagglebus, one of the first pieces of art I saw was that variant cover that Doc Shaner did for issue one, and I was like, I, I totally want to be part of this because this looks awesome. Right, that that's the cover that I got too. <laughs> nothing yeah. against nothing against Ben Caldwell's covers, but oh no, yeah, his cover. I mean, every him doing the covers of the series too have been incredible. Like I've been blown away with everyone, uh, and I just like to me, it's still weird that like my name gets to be on the cover like like that. It's I mean, all the variant artists who have done it and all the covers that Ben Ben uh, Ben Caldwell have done it just been so incredible, and I'm honored to be able to work on this book. I was seriously torn. I mean, again, not that I don't love all of Ben's covers, but this last issue five, the Joel Jones cover with Snagglepuss in the hearing, and the yeah. uh, the cover with the the noose. I yeah. didn't I didn't know which one to buy. I almost bought both, but <laughs> I'm I'm fortunate that I I get comps, so I get both of them. Oh, nice. But uh, I you know I, if I was I like I have them on display and like I just they're both. Amazing, but yeah, I mean, both. Of, I think not. Not to say that any cover 
isn't amazing on this whole series because they're all incredible. But when the, I saw these two um, for issue five, I like my jaw dropped. Like when I first saw the Ben Collins with, with with the silhouette of the noose, I was like, "Holy crap, this is amazing!" And then when I got the uh, the Joel Jones one in the mail too, and the fact that the logo or the titles and at the top of the page they have it down below, so you can see the full artwork on it. Like that's my that's amazing. It looks so good. I think that was the that was the, the the thing that sort of put me over the edge on that cover because that's apparently like the new thing for any of the variant covers. Oh yeah, they're showcasing the art and the the title is just kind of down at the bottom. The recent Future Quest had that. Um, I think the regular line has that as well. Any variant covers for that? So yeah, I mean I love the playbill kind of look of the cover design, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's just something about that uh, that does make me. I was going to ask you. Again, despite the fact that there's beautiful covers for this series, I wondered why you yourself hadn't done covers. I wondered if that was a time thing or because um, this is like kind of your first real professional gig. Yeah, I, I totally chalk it up to a time thing. I'm um, sorry, my dog is on the left and making noises. <laughs> just, just a time thing. I mean, just there was a whole lot of... I, like, I'm completely untested. I'm, I'm new to this, um, and I think that I was given as, as much responsibility as probably was, was uh, which, which would make sense at the time. Um, and, and I think that a lot of these cover artists were lined up well in advance because um, when I was brought on board, like I said, there was a few covers already done. For, I, I know for issues, at least one and two, um, I, I had already seen the covers before I was even officially on the book. And then, yeah, I just think, like, I, you know, ideally in the future I'd love to do uh, or at least attempt to do my own inks. But yeah, it was just kind of like, I'm new. Um, I'm still like the, the, the schedule and work involved in, in producing a monthly book is like well beyond what like, I knew it would be hard. And it was like 10 times harder than even I, I, I had anticipated. So it'd be cool to do that in the future. But yeah, this is just like my first go at it. So like every, every issue, every page was like a whole new learning experience for me. It was just like, yeah, it was just, you know, my training wheels. Are still on, I guess. Is that why there's the backup stories by Brandy Stillwell as well, or was that already planned before they had you locked in? I have no idea. I don't know anything about like what the decision was to uh, include that. I think those are fun and I love them, and it's great that it's there. But yeah, I, I don't really know why or when that was decided because it wasn't on the first issue. I think that was introduced in issue two. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, I'm not entirely sure um, any of the behind the scenes stuff about that. I found it interesting because, again, like I, I enjoyed them as well. I think they're fun, but they're not Hanna Barbera. <laughs> and I totally yeah. forgot. I totally forgot to ask Mark when I was talking to him what the uh, what the reasoning for that was. But so I, I, I like I have I have no idea. So that so Sasquatch Detective isn't like a Hanna Barbera property, or is, was that something before, or is this a completely original creation? Uh, I believe it's a completely original thing. Oh, it's just something that uh, I think Brandy came up with and. She's doing her own little few pages at the back of each issue, and yeah. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, I, I have no idea, but that's that's cool. <laughs> uh, you said that some of the covers were already done, and that kind of, again, leads me into another question that I was going to ask. The the design of Snagglepuss, uh, it's a little bit different from sort of what Howard Porter had. I honestly, I thought that when these issues came out, he was probably going to look more like uh, the way he looked on Steve Pugh's cover. Mm-hmm which sort of carried a little bit more of that Hanna-Barbera design uh, into the sort of regular story. But you've gone for a much more human look to the characters, and I wondered uh, what was the sort of design process behind that and the logic behind that? 
and uh, how difficult it was to kind of figure out the look for anthropomorphizing these characters. That's something that, yeah, I, I, I figured, like I was saying earlier, like the, with the work that, that DC had seen from me um, and my style, that if they wanted me to do this, they wanted me to do it my way. And there was no real direction of, it was like, here's some, I think they sent me the, the a couple of Ben Caldwell covers. Uh, I think it was issue two and Doc Shaner's cover from issue one and said, before I tried anything, it was just, can you draw this character, give it a shot and, and see, see how it looks. So I, it was over a weekend. I just like, you know, drew him over and over and over again. And that's just, that's just kind of how I, there's not much more to it other than like, that's just how I would do it. I, I like done some stuff in the past for, for, for bands or magazines covers where, you know, you're just drawing a person with an animal head or something like that. So yeah, I, I just, I did it kind of my way. And then when I sent those, those drawings to Marie and she sent them around to, I, th- I think Mark and I think some of the other editors or, or whatever, um, they all said like, Oh, this, this is, this is great. This is what we're looking for. So I think, I think too that it's, it's weird because it's, it shouldn't work anyways. Like the fact that we're dealing with this very serious subject matter in this very kind of dark time period in American history, that there's animals walking around and, and they're not wearing pants. And that's, I think that if it got any more cartoony, it might, you, you, it might be distracting, but again, like the, the, that's just kind of how how I, that's just my style. There's, there's there was no real other way. I I wouldn't want to make it more cartoony or or anything. It's just that that's just kind of how I how I draw. I guess if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you you said that you were pretty much given free reign to kind of do the design. I'm guessing Mark was probably well along with scripts by the time you came on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm pretty. I, I remember looking at the dates as I was getting the scripts, but it seems like most of them, uh, up until maybe issue three or four, were, were done before I was even brought on board. Um, so yeah, it was all kind of ready to go when I got there. So did you have many discussions with Mark about sort of the tone and the style, or um, yeah, were you just Mark, kind of thrown in the deep end and told go? <laughs> he. Um, with with every issue, there was a like a reference folder. With every script, there was a reference folder attached with with different images, uh, particularly like of uh, historical figures or places that were going to show up. Uh, and and initially, before I started, he did send a couple of emails detailing like the the vibe, the kind of you know stuff in the background that he wanted to include. And uh, yeah, just like a lot of different photos of fashions and advertising and and, and settings and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I got a lot of detailed kind of um, background stuff from him. Now, being a Canadian, and this is a very American book, did you have to do a lot of independent research on the period and, you know, the look of New York City and the celebrities and whatnot that you were drawing, uh, historical figures? I think that, like, it, it's such a well-known city and, you know, the, the figures that pop up are such well-known people that I was aware of, of everything. That, you know, I, I have all that stuff in my head anyways, but I do like, you know, I haven't like had a Pinterest board with, you know, New York 1950s, 1950s ads, a lot of this stuff. I don't think it's, you know, as, as a Canadian, just like we, we hear and we see everything about America anyways. It's, you know, it, this is completely off topic, but like there was some time recently that like, I think it was like somebody in, I saw somebody in Europe 
like a either on TV or something wearing a Captain America shirt. I'm like, I wonder how people who aren't American feel about Captain America. And I realized right. like I'm wearing a Captain America shirt at the time and I'm not American. Like it's like I for it's this is terrible. Like Canada will hate me for saying this, but like I often forget that like we're a separate thing. Yeah. So because it's just like the, the media, it's the same media, and especially now where American politics is every story and, and every news. It's just like it's 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 easy to sometimes forget like we're not we're not the same thing. Um. So yeah, it's just like all that stuff I was very aware of. I'm always surprised when like I'm Canadian as well. I'm from Edmonton. Oh, cool. And. Uh, I'll be talking to somebody, you know, they'll talk about things in the American Constitution, like I'll plead the fifth, or and it's like, you realize the Canadian Constitution is different. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, this is not something that we have here in our legal system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that that you just, you just assume, like, that's that's for everyone, but it's, yeah, we have a completely different thing, so yeah, it's, but yeah, stuff stuff like media or, or celebrity and all that stuff, obviously, you know, like, we we know Everything that goes on in America, we, we, we're kind of aware of. When I talked to Mark, he was talking about some of the legalities of dealing with uh, some of the celebrity figures. Uh, he talked about the Marilyn Monroe, Joe DiMaggio thing and how, you know, he wasn't able to necessarily name characters directly. Mm-hmm. I wondered if that was something that also affected the approach artistically when you're doing likenesses, if you had to shift it a little to the left or right just so that it wasn't kind of a spot on likeness. Um, I am will be the first to admit that I am not the best at drawing likeness anyways. So my attempt at drawing characters, I, I was pretty confident that like if I draw this character, it's not going to look exactly like them. Um, but hopefully it's enough that you'll be able to tell who it is. So yeah, it, it, it's, there was never, I never got a note back from anyone saying this looks too much like the person or this doesn't look enough like the person. So I think that we skirted that line as well as we, we had to. But yeah, there's it's 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 interesting how that side of it works. because um, I you know, you you think like these people are public figures or historical characters that you could draw them or you could use them in, in, in your book, but there are apparently like a lot of different legal things that you kinda need to jump around. So yeah, there it, it, there's I mean there's some characters that look exactly like they're spo- like how the person actually looked and we use their full name. But there's other ones like Marilyn Monroe. Like she's only ever called Marilyn in the book. Um, right. Mark ever writes her, her last name. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how some people you can use, some people you can't. That's the one that kind of surprised me the most because her marriage to Joe DiMaggio is very well known, and having Arthur Miller in there, that dynamic was also something that you know it's part of history. It's something that kind of everybody knows. So to dance around that just felt very strange to me, but. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's legal people at DC and, and stuff, and they all. I'm sure they know every loophole and, and every part of this that, that that they can do far better than perhaps we do. Um, so I, I trust you what they do. I wonder if it's context, like maybe the the tone and style of the book might dictate how litigious you know the estates of these people might be. Like if it was just something very straightforward. Maybe they wouldn't care, but Snagglepuss, mm-hmm. this is this is kind of a brave book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've commented many times before, it shocks and thrills me that some of the most progressive comic books being published today are coming from Archie and the DC Hanna-Barbera line. Yeah. They're it's... featuring people of color, they're featuring LGBTQ characters, they're 
they're very modern and unafraid like the Flintstones one of the sharpest satirical sort of commentaries on civilization that I've seen in a long time yeah Snagglepuss very brave with just dealing with LGBTQ characters and this very paranoid you know McCarthyism period in the US and uh yeah yeah it's 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 funny when I when I got um the gig you know I'm pretty sure I'm the I looked at like I'm from Newfoundland and there's not a whole lot of people who work in comics here. There's probably I could name them all. It's a handful, and I think I'm the only one to ever work for for DC or or either of the big two. Um, so when I got the gig, it was kind of like a big deal here, and people are asking me like, "Well, what are you working on? Like, you're working for DC? Are you going to be working on Batman or Superman?" And I'd be like, "I'm working on Snagglepuss," and people would be like, "What?" And then a lot of people would say, "Oh, well, you had to start somewhere." <laughs> and then I, you know, exp- then but I I'd go to explain like no like you don't understand like what the writer's doing with this book or like what this is and then you know and then you see it like when articles started to come out and reviews about the, the first issue it was just like yes Snagglepost is an important book for 2018 like you you know it's it's really it's fun and it's it's surprising um, but I'm really glad that it's as important and, and and Mark has done it like written it so well that it means something to people like to be part of something like that is just like been really really cool and, and really important for me because i think that as a as a comic reader you know and, and especially like now there's so much stuff going on in comics which is a, a lot of weird drama and, and different sides of people arguing about stuff i always wanted if i worked in comics to to one day have the opportunity to work on something that i felt was positive just like or or, or could mean something to people or or shine light on like some issues like to, to have the opportunity to do that I thought wouldn't happen until much later in my career but like to right out of the gates work on a book like this which seems to resonate with people has been really really cool and a really great opportunity for future generations who are curious the uh, the comic book drama we're speaking of is there's a big uh, I believe they're calling it comics gate right now yeah, yeah. Uh, is going on I'm sure uh a Google search of that, if you're listening to this in the future, will uh, tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so j- jumping back to the book, I've also heard that from talking to other creators, Hanna-Barbera has been, their requirements are very minimal. They've been very free with just letting creators take this thing in really interesting directions. I'm assuming that's been your experience as well? Yeah, it, I, you know, every time I got this, this script, um, especially like, I, I won't give spoilers in case anyone's read it uh, hasn't read it yet but like issue five something happens to a character and i was like holy crap we're, we're doing this like everyone's cool with this so yeah it really seems like just totally free reign with with, with these characters and mark is just doing whatever he wants with them and, and it seems like everyone's totally cool with that and it it's great because it, it's it, it works for these stories and it's keeping keeping them good stories and it's it, but it is just crazy to see like these characters and these really intense situations. So yeah, it's kind of, we've been able to do whatever we want. Have you gotten any notes? What, what, were there any specific kind of restrictions that you did have that you can speak no. of? <laughs> like really, I can't think of a single one. So, you know, that was probably just, all dealt with in the script stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than like the only really, really notes that I would have gotten are stuff like that are legal things that maybe I don't quite understand why, um, like, um, there, there were th- there were things like just properties that are all under the Warner Brothers umbrella that either we have logos of something like that need to be obscured a bit or 
Yeah, mainly just like like logos, brandings of things that I think that Mark probably in the initial script stage just thought it would be fine to use because it's all within Warner Brothers. And that's just kind of we need to like maybe put somebody's hand over a logo or or obscure something a bit so it's not infringing on any copyrights or things like that. Those are the only notes that that uh, I I think I ever got. And that brings us to the end of part one of my conversation with DC Hanna-Barbera artist Mike Fian. You can currently catch Mike's work in the Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles trade paperback now available from DC Comics. Should be in any fine comic book store. Came out last week, which would be August 22nd. And I highly recommend picking it up. Or, you know, stealing a copy from a friend who you know has already purchased it. It's definitely worth reading, and it was one of my favorite books that came out this year. If this interview has piqued your interest about Mike, you can find him online. You can follow him on Twitter. His handle there is at Mike Seriously. And I'd love to hear what you think of the conversation, of uh, the show, of whatever you want to talk about. As long as, well, it doesn't even have to necessarily be Scooby-Doo or Hanna-Barbera related. It could just be you want to reach out and say, hey... So if that's the case, you can find me on Facebook. Just search a podcast named Scooby-Doo there. You can find me on Twitter at ScoobyDooCast. You can contact me by Gmail at ScoobyPodcast at gmail.com. I think that's it. Don't use it very often. There's also the WordPress blog. And actually, mentioning the WordPress blog before I forget, one of the features of the DC Hanna-Barbera interview series is whenever I talk to somebody, unlike the folks who have worked on the Scooby-Doo show proper who come on and do commentaries, uh, these guys can't really do the commentary for a comic book, but I've asked uh, if any of them have any behind-the-scenes process material that they want to share, sketches, concept art, you know, whatever. Uh, If they were interested in sharing, I'd happily uh, post them on the blog as added value content, bonus features, if you will, to accompany the interview. And Mike has provided just such a thing. And that will be featured over on the blog named Scooby-Doo, which is available on WordPress. Uh, You can find it at scoobydoocast.wordpress.com. Mike's provided some, uh, some sketches and process work, which is really cool. Some of it has been previously included in the trade collection that, as I keep saying, came out last week. And some of it is all new and exclusive to the podcast and the blog so uh, be sure to head over there and check that out and as always if you get the show off of itunes while you're there rate and review the show it's uh it's one of the best ways to kind of get the podcast into the eyes and ears of listeners who may not be already checking out the show and as always word of mouth is a powerful marketing tool so feel free to share the podcast either from the Facebook page or from YouTube. Uh, the show's also available on YouTube. Share that to your social media, spread the word, and you know if there's a creator that you're really digging and you want to kind of just let people know, hey, you enjoyed this. This is this is a fun show. Check it out. I I would be forever grateful. Never underestimate the power of word of mouth. So I'm kind of struggling to think of anything else that I can add here. I can't think of anything. I'm sure if there is something, I'll be able to add it in part two of the interview, which should be coming out in a little bit. I'm not going to make any promises because we all know what happened the last time that happened. So 
With any luck, it should be coming out within a couple weeks of this interview coming out. So watch for that. Watch Twitter. Uh, I'm always updating on the social media and letting people know kind of what's going on. It's the best way to sort of keep abreast of what's going on in the universe of a podcast named Scooby-Doo. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, it was it was great fun welcoming Mike to the APNSD family. And I look forward to sharing part two of our conversation with you next time. So until then, thanks again so much for joining me. I've been your host, Mike Josic. And remember... Paragraph 32 in my contract clearly states that the party the first whereas in due abrogation of professional entities does hereby exclude and nullify tangent reclamations as referred to in paragraph 20, 21 even. Do you know what that means, Buster? Hmm? No. That's a relief. I was beginning to think I'm the only dimwit around here.